only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It was getting older and that the years ahead would likely to be more difficult and we would like to get in trouble in Europe. In the light of events, he did become a very sick man, unfortunately for himself and for the country and for the world. The condition that he was in in Yalta and Tehran was, was uh, a very bad situation for us and for him. And he pointed out to me that, that people felt that he was the only man who could run and win and that he should carry on. And I told him that was a mistake in my judgment, that I didn't think that he or anyone else was the indispensable man. I told him that I wouldn't go along with the third term because I didn't believe in it and that I would resign as national chairman and postmaster general. But I would say sufficiently long as national chairman to set up the organization, which I did. And Roosevelt? Well, a man's doctor notices a lot. Admiral McIntyre. He hoped to be able to retire to Hyde Park at the end of 1940. But when Hitler attacked... In 1939, and World War II was sure to be visited upon us, I am sure that he allowed this consideration to send him on. And so, when he came up to make his own decision, and let me say this, his decision to run was his and his alone. He knew his physical state. And yet he believed that his knowledge, the continuity that he could give, was what he should do. No one now remembers, and perhaps no one ever knew, when Franklin Roosevelt decided to upset tradition and seek a third term. But shortly before the Republican convention in 1940, he made overtures to some high-ranking Republicans to serve in his cabinet. One of them was Alf Landon, whom the Republicans had run for president four years before. Landon was strongly opposed to the third term. Another was Landon's running mate, Colonel Frank Knox. Landon was invited to the White House for lunch. First, he talked to Knox. Colonel Knox said to me, well, Alf, he couldn't run for a third term if he wanted to. In my visit with him two weeks ago, he said to me, look at me, Frank. I'm not physically able to run if I wanted to. And the colonel illustrated by holding out his hands to me how Mr. Roosevelt's hands shook. And I said, yes, I know, but I don't trust him. Frank said, well, couldn't we take a letter, each one of us, to hold that he wasn't going to be a candidate for a third term? And I said, well, Frank, what position does that leave us in? He's told you he wasn't. 
you ask him for this letter. I said, that leaves us in a sort of a position of calling the president a liar when we're going into his cabinet. Frank said, I guess you're right. Tell him you speak for me. Well, I said, uh, Frank, you ought to do that yourself. He said, all right, I will. The president and I had a very delightful visit for two hours, in which the uh, nearest we ever got to a discussion of the cabinet position, he said to me, uh, now, Al, said, don't believe everything you read in the newspapers. These newspapers have been talking about uh, that I was going to name some Republicans in my cabinet. He says, I got to make some changes. He said, uh, Madam Perkins shows the mistake of uh, naming a woman to high office. He said, I got to make a change in the Labor Department secretary. Uh, he says, the situation in the War Department is intolerable. I've got to name a new secretary of war. I uh, told Governor Edson when he ran for governor in New Jersey that I'd have to name a new secretary of the Navy. I've got in mind 25 or 30 men. He says, I don't know whether they're Republicans or Democrats. He said, don't believe what you read in these newspapers. If you want to know, call me. I'll tell you. When I left the White House at 2 o'clock, I called uh, Colonel Knox and told him what had happened. And I read him the statement I was going to give to the press conference, and he said, that's bully, that's grand, tell him you speak for me. I hesitated. Uh, Frank caught the hesitation. And he said, don't you think so? Well, I said, uh, Frank, for the sake of your own prestige and your own leadership, I think it would be better for you to make your own statement rather than a Me Too statement. Man, politics always got to think of his friends if he's going to last. And uh, Frank Knox had been a bully man to work with all through the campaign. He said, all right, I will. I'll put it on the wire in an hour. Well, never did come. Between uh, 2.30 and 4 o'clock, evidently, the White House got a hold of Colonel Knox. I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but the president's timing was certainly uh, pretty devastating to the Republican campaign. If both of us had gone in the cabinet, there wouldn't have been anything left of any campaign in 1940. Great anxiety was felt by President Roosevelt, and indeed by thinking men throughout the United States, about what would happen to us. The president felt to the depths of his being that the destruction of Britain would not only be an event fearful in itself, but that it would expose to mortal danger the vast and as yet largely unarmed potentialities and the future destiny of the United States. Winston Churchill became an American hero in the early years of World War II. In the years that Britain stood alone, he became a personal friend to Franklin Roosevelt. On June 22, 1941, Hitler invaded Russia. On December 7, 1941... Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. FDR established a map room in the first week after Pearl Harbor. 
George Elsie, then a young naval lieutenant, was assigned to the White House map room. There were maps on all the walls and sliding panels around the room to give more wall space. These maps showed every theater of the war, all the oceans. It was the president's custom to come into the map room on his way to the office each morning. He'd usually come down the elevator and we'd hear the bell that the Secret Service would ring so we knew he was on his way. There'd be a tapping at the door and one of us would open the door and in he'd roll. He never walked at that time. He always came in on his wheelchair. Fallow was trotting alongside. Sometimes a Secret Service man would sort of give him a push to get him started into the room. Then he'd wheel himself on into the room and move around from wall to wall, map to map, seeing what had happened since he'd been there the night before. He could spot right away whenever a change had been made in the location of a major task force or ship or something of that sort, but he would never interfere. He made it clear over and over again that he wanted to know exactly what was going on, but he wasn't going to interfere with his commander in the field in the way the battle was fought, the way the task force was sent out. That was a big difference, and I can remember hearing the president and Churchill debate it one day in the map room. Mostly, he came in to read the cables. There were long and factual ones from General Eisenhower in North Africa and later Europe. There were the pretty prosaic and terse messages from Admiral Nimitz out in the Pacific, the bombastic and eloquent ones from General MacArthur in the Southwest Pacific, and then the explosive and colorful and very terse ones from Admiral Halsey. The president would sit there with his cigarette holder, clamp between his teeth, and run through these messages as quickly as possible. But I think the greatest interest that he had in the map room was keeping track of the messages that the president exchanged between Churchill and between Stalin and Chiang Kai-shek and de Gaulle and Giraud and the other political leaders of the war. There were about 2,000 of these messages between Prime Minister Churchill and President Roosevelt during the war, sometimes some outrageous puns from Churchill. There weren't nearly as many messages with Uncle Joe Stalin. Uncle Joe was a name that the president coined for Stalin early in the war, one that stuck with him and one that years later he actually confessed to Stalin that it face-to-face that he used. The Stalin ones were, were much more difficult. Stalin was a, a, a tough fellow to dicker with, a tough man to bargain with. His messages were sometimes pretty rude. The president wasn't quite sure as he'd sit there and scratch his head and look at them, whether it was just somebody who hadn't done a good job of translating in the Russian embassy or whether perhaps it really was intended to be as as bad as it sounded. The last few weeks of his uh, life, March and April of 45, the messages from Stalin were outrageously insulting as he accused the president of double-crossing him and of double-dealing Uh, accusing the Americans of wanting a separate peace with Hitler. And he liked to travel. He He wanted to travel a lot more than the Secret Service ever let him to see at closer range what they were doing. When he went off to an international conference, which happened every few months, he always took some of the map room staff with him. And whenever we went, we would set up a portable map room, whether it was in the Citadel at Quebec or over at Cairo or Tehran or Yalta, and try and keep him posted there on an hour-by-hour basis of what was going on. And in these map rooms in other countries,
Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.